You are listening to Ship It, a podcast about operations, infrastructure, and simple ideas executed well. I'm your host, Gerhard Lazu, and today I'm talking to Ildar Ishakov and Matvey Kukui, the Amixer founders, now known as Grafana on Call. It started as a simple idea with a simple stack, Django, Celery, RabbitMQ and MySQL, all running on Kubernetes, which Ildar and Matvey have been refining for years. It's simple when you keep your main thing the main thing and keep improving it every day for a couple of years. This is another Big Ten philosophy story, I'm thinking episode 12, with a black swan moment towards the end. Big thanks to our partners Fastly, LaunchDarkly and Linode. Thank you for the great bandwidth Fastly. You can learn more at Fastly.com. Ship new features with confidence by getting your feature flags powered by LaunchDarkly.com. And thank you Linode for keeping our Kubernetes fast and simple. Run your setup as we do, valena.com forward slash changelog. What's up, shippers? Adam here, and I want to tell you about one of our new partners for 2022, MongoDB, the makers of MongoDB Atlas, the multi-cloud application data platform. MongoDB Atlas provides an integrated suite of data services centered around a cloud database designed to accelerate and simplify how you build with data. Ditch the columns, the rows, once and for all, and switch to the database loved by millions of developers for its intuitive document data model and query API that maps to how you think and code. When you're ready to launch, Atlas automatically layers on production-grade resilience, performance, and security features so you can confidently scale your app from sandbox to customer-facing application. As a truly multi-cloud database, Atlas enables you to deploy your data across multiple regions on AWS, Azure, and Google Cloud simultaneously. You heard that right. You can distribute your data across multiple cloud providers at the same time with a click of a button. All you got to do is try Atlas today for free. They have a free forever tier, so you can prove yourself and your team. The platform has everything you need. Head to mongodb.com slash Atlas. Again, mongodb.com slash Atlas. I love talking about crazy ideas executed well, which is why I'm excited uh, to be speaking today with Matvey and Eldar about Grafano on call. Welcome to Shipping. Hello, yeah, thank you for having us. That's Matvey. <laughs> Yes, and I'm so happy to be here. Very excited. I'm Hildar. So how do you pronounce the name of the startup that you both co-founded before it became Grafana on call? It uh, used to be called a mixer or a mixer, a mixer. <laughs> so whoever we asked, everybody had different idea how to call it. <laughs> so. Okay. So Hildar, how do you pronounce it? It's a mixer. A mixer. Yes. A mixer. Okay, good, good. So. Why do people need to be on call? Right now, businesses, they require to be online. They require to provide an interrupted service 24 hours, seven days per week. There is a team behind every service, which mm. makes sure it's live. And um, this team needs to be online all the time. And everybody needs to be ready to fix something 
mm-hmm. and that's why people have on-call shifts mm-hmm. that everybody from the team is responsible for, I assume, and they have to get. Yeah, yeah everybody turns. from the team should be responsible for the service, mm-hmm. and uh, it's better if it's not a night for that person, yeah. and uh, that's basically what is being on-call. Mm-hmm. So do you think that having a distributed team, Matvey, which is around the whole world, helps with this? So that when it's daytime for someone, it's nighttime for someone else. And maybe the person that is on call, it's preferably daytime for them. Do you think that helps? Actually, that's the only one way to put people on call, not at night. Mm-hmm. Because we don't have any any other ways to distribute 24 hours, mm-hmm. fair enough. So that's why different tools showed up, which help people to distribute on-call pressure or alert pressure. So if it's like night for one person, it makes a lot of sense to send incidents to another person who is on the other side of the globe. But uh, of course, not every team could afford that. Mm. Uh, Not every company could afford that. So there are still a lot of teams, on-call teams, which are uh, not distributed uh, worldwide, which don't have uh, this uh, fair on-call distribution. Can you imagine this being outsourced as a small company that is in the single location and, you know, there's nighttime for all the employees? Can you imagine outsourcing on-call? I know examples of companies who outsource on-call successfully, but of course it requires some efforts in culture and you need to let other company in your infrastructure mm-hmm. you need to keep them updated to, you need to make them like know how to fix problems at night because on call right. if you do on call good uh, that means that mm-hmm. on call person will be able to fix incidents by himself in some companies on call happens in the way that person just acts like a, the one who decide if this incident need to be fixed now so okay it depends on which type of incidents do you have and which what's your sla and a lot of cultural facts <laughs> okay i'm wondering ildar if you've ever been on call and woken up in the middle of the night we were a really small team mm-hmm. and of course we had a bunch of incidents that happened at our time zone luckily mm-hmm. most probably 50 percent of our startup, we were really distributed across the globe with Matvi. So mm-hmm. I was in San Francisco and Matvi was back in Europe. So we right. were able to have these 12-hour shifts. But when we were at the same location, we had to share the night shifts. So yes, of course, I was on call and I had to wake up and fix something. And mm-hmm. always when I woke up, I had to assemble the team to fix that incident it was a really small chance that I was able to fix something. Obviously, I could do a, some patch or hotfix and postpone it until the morning. But most of the time, it needed the immediate reaction of mm. more than one person. So Okay, okay. So can you imagine a world where people don't need to be on call? What would that even look like? Can you imagine such a thing? Of course, in, at some level of maturity, service can be managed automatically so real people would not need to get in the night and fix something unusual. But we don't have that level maturity in any service yet. And every product is developing and there is some error budget that needs to be kind of Mm. produced. And that errors are 
some unique errors that need some human response that can be fixed by the machine, can be fixed automatically. So I believe for most of the services, people would still need to wake up in, in, the, in the night and mm -hmm. uh, do some job. I think waking up in the night, I think that's maybe the worst possible scenario when you're on call. Preferably there's someone when it's like daytime for them and they don't need to wake up during night because like how good can you be at 3 a.m. or 4 a.m. in the morning, you know, when you haven't had your coffee, you haven't had like your routine and you have to like load all that up. Not to mention how peaceful is your sleep when you have to think that, oh, anytime my pager or my phone, whatever the case may be, may go off. And I need to be ready for that. So you're already setting yourself just before you fall asleep that I may need to be woken up. So as a result, you're like half asleep almost because you need to be aware, I suppose. So what was your best on-call experience, Matvey? Interesting question. So the best on-call experience, of course, it's when you are on-call. You know when you will be on-call. You're prepared and nothing happens. So... Your shift right. just passes by. <laughs> I see. Okay. <laughs> and okay. no incidents occur. I think it could be more interesting to answer a question. What was the, the best experience of being on call and having an incident? Which is yes. a more tricky question. So a mixer, our startup, which was acquired by Grafana and became Grafana on call. It was live a year and a half before acquisition. So we had real customers, we had real production. And uh, of course, we were on call. And of course, we had a lot of incidents. Small team rushing to develop a lot. Like we were pushing things to the production fast and... Yeah. Uh, Move fast and break everything. Yeah, I know it. <laughs> okay. Break everything. <laughs> yeah. But if you break something, you will return money to your customers. <laughs> so there's one excuse. Okay. So it was tough time being on call. And uh, of course, we had a lot of incidents. And best rotation for me was when I was able to fix everything by myself. I had all instruments somewhere. I knew how to use them. Mm -hmm. And I had the whole knowledge about the piece which was broken. And most of the time it was like this. So when I was alone, I was confident. I just pushed the fix. I knew how to reach out to customers. Uh, I knew how to figure out which customers were affected. And that was the best experience. Of course, everything got a little bit worse when I needed to involve somebody from our team or even uh, when I needed to involve somebody from, for example, from Slack or from our customer team okay. when some of our customers somehow managed to overpass the rate limit and DDoS our infrastructure, something like this. Like this, when it happened, it went worse. Right. So when you depended on others, when you had to talk to others, especially when that person was like your customer, that, you know, they were, they thought they were doing the right thing, but obviously they weren't, you know, that had like an effect, maybe a cascading effect and that something that they did had like a knock-on effect on something else. I can imagine that happening. How much of this did you capture as learnings and then you shared it with your team? after the incident was over. So one of the main things about incident management is not to consider incidents as something unique. They will happen. They will happen always. And if you don't change, the incident will show up again, the same incident. So the bubble of problems will start to grow. And at some moment, yeah. you'll find found yourself just fixing incidents and uh, doing nothing else. So, of course, one of the main things is to share and 
build some action items after each incident. Mm -hmm. Of course, some incidents are like, okay, you go there, you reboot the server. It happens again, you go there, reboot the server. Again, you reboot the server again and again, and uh, you found out that you're doing it like three times a day. And uh, even if an incident is a small, you need to bring some small group like once a week, discuss what happened and uh, write down some action items, put them to your backlog to mitigate this amount of technical debt you have in in your infrastructure. So we uh, tried our best to do it from the very beginning when it was on the two people startup. Mm -hmm. We still had those meetings. We incorporated those learnings. We wrote a little bit of runbooks. Of course, in the very beginning, it's very naive, small, you know, Mm self-made, but it helped us to grow a lot. We are building incident management tool. We need to have proper incident management process. (laughs) Yeah, makes sense. So I'm wondering about you, Eldar. What was your worst on-call experience when there was an incident? Thank you, Matvei. The worst experience ever is when you're trying to fix something and you make it worse. Okay. You commit some code, which actually evolves the problem into into bigger problem. For example, if it affected only one customer and after you fix it affected all the customers. And that that's probably the nightmare for the on-call person. Did that happen to you? I can say that it was critical for our business, but of course when you wake up at 4 a.m. and you try to fix something as you can make mistakes and uh, once uh, we were a Slack application at the very beginning mm-hmm. and basically I sent a message not to one person but almost every person in the organization wow. and that that was I can say the worst experience I've ever had being on call. <laughs> and did that notification like wake up people? Like what was the effect of that notification being sent to everyone? It didn't wake up, luckily. The script was to notify somebody when the person got online, which was which was really cool. But it was actually not that bad. We just kind of increased the level of, you know, just more people learned about our product. And after that, we just got a few more requests uh, to for the demos. So... That was not that bad, but of course, for the as from the developer point of view, it was it was not the best experience. It was a grow hacky on call rotation when you okay. just <laughs> yeah, spammed all of our customers, and they all wow, what's that? And I said, I want this. It's a great feature. Can I have it, please? <laughs> so the problem was like, now you have to ship it. <laughs> you can't like you know like get back out of this. It's not like a you know like hidden feature. A-B testing sort of thing. No, everybody has to have it. Okay, interesting. But it was uh, very painful to understand that it was an atten- like unexpected bef- behavior. So it was mm-hmm. why Lar mentioned that, because he didn't expect this. And it ended up well, like nothing, nobody died. <laughs> but right. we spammed, I don't know, 20,000 people and uh, like, oh, oh, sorry. Oops. Okay. Yeah. Oops. <laughs> a bit bigger than I thought. Yeah. I remember there was like this issue with Outlook where you'd use like reply to people, use like this these mega threads and would like take entire servers down because everybody would like auto respond or something like that. So this wasn't like that, right? It wasn't that bad. No. <laughs> okay. So in terms of bad incidents, have you ever deleted production data? Like 
drop the entire database. Oops, I was meant to drop my development database, not my production one. I've done it once. I was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> but luckily, we could rebuild it all. It was like a grueling six hours, but we fixed it. I think that's the worst one that I can remember. I was literally, this was maybe 15 years ago, maybe 10 years ago. I don't know, something like that. And uh, I was using, you know, like one of those apps with UIs like to connect to my database. And I just had like the wrong dropdown selected. So yeah, of course, I want to delete all the tables. What like, okay, okay. I didn't even read the message. The whole production went down. That was bad. That was bad. Did anything like that happen to you? I can say somebody from our team continuously wants to do that. But (laughs) I guess we are experienced enough to add some pop-ups or some scripts that kind of Mm -hmm. that gives you some that is talking about me because i have in the (laughs) database uh, query tool i use i have production database selected by default and every time Eldar see this he says like that's not good (laughs) so (laughs) right (laughs) but you haven't deleted it yet right so even you're doing that i was thinking something similar by the way okay (laughs) i wanted to like reseed stuff that's how it happens and i was like you know like stuff wasn't seeding properly like just like let's just blow this thing down and that's that's what happened okay so you're still targeting production. Okay. <laughs> so what's preventing you from deleting it? I think Ildar removed my access from production database recently. So right. I have no chance to do it now. I didn't go there like a few weeks, but uh, I think now I have no access. But right. actually, the dangerous part is uh, migrations for us. So we migrate our database pretty frequently. And uh, mm. at some point, we developed pretty like some process around this. So we do a database copy, full copy, we migrate it, we check how it went, we checked if a downtime happened in this toy copy. If it didn't, we migrate the main database and we have some process around that to avoid okay. problems because that's the most dangerous thing for us, migrations. Yeah. So if migrations go wrong, it could take a few hours to restore. What database do you use, can I ask? Well, I can ask, but you don't have to answer <laughs> what I'm trying to say. <laughs> you don't have to answer if you don't want. Like, what database do you use? Yeah, there's no no secret. We use uh, MySQL database. Mm-hmm. Actually, we are very. We decided not to use any fancy tools. Mm-hmm. We don't know well at the beginning because it's very important not to play with toys but build stuff. Yeah, so we chosen very very established stack such as Django, Celery, MySQL, Rabbit. So it's very solid. We know how to work with it, and we. Just don't do any steps to other technologies. So how do you run your database? Where does MySQL run? We are using the hosted database as a primary. And uh, we created the duplicate cluster in completely other uh, service, Mm -hmm. which has the copy of the database, which is synchronized over some period of time. Okay. And if uh, our primary service is down, let's say AWS or Google is down, we just use another provider, and uh, we switched to it. Which version of MySQL do you use? Or like which flavor, not just version? Is it MariaDB? Is it something else? Uh, It's just a regular 5.7 MySQL. Okay. Yeah, I don't think that's Maria. That is is like the MySQL. Is that the open source one? Actually, is it open source? Because I think Oracle acquired them, no? Isn't that what happened? I, I stopped using it like maybe 10 years ago, so I don't know what happened afterwards. And I think MariaDB is like the latest one, but okay, okay. What about the stack? Like you mentioned, you use like Django, RabbitMQ, Celery. Do you use Kubernetes or do you use something else? Yes, we are in Kubernetes from the very beginning. Okay. 
that's one innovative technology that we decided to pick. That's really cool. And do you have like one cluster, multiple clusters? What does that look like? We do have one primary cluster and we always have the second cluster, which is just uh, waiting until the first one is down and yeah. uh, we can switch to it. Interesting. Okay. And do you use multi-zone or single zone? The nodes, are they like in a single zone? I mean, I'm assuming they're in a single region. Yeah, we do have a bunch of pools in different zones, I believe. And that's, of course, about our previous Emixer times, because now when we joined Grafana, mm-hmm. we completely kind of redesigned, we checked uh, what was wrong with some mm-hmm. parts, and uh, we kind of spent a couple of months on transitioning our infrastructure. And now it can be a little bit different. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Fire Hydrant. Fire Hydrant is the reliability platform for every developer. Incidents impact everyone, not just SREs. Fire Hydrant gives teams the tools to maintain service catalogs, respond to incidents, communicate through status pages, and learn with retrospectives. What would normally be manual, error-prone tasks across the entire spectrum of responding to an incident, this can all be automated in every way with Fire Hydrant. Fire Hydrant gives you incident tooling to manage incidents of any type with any severity with consistency. You can declare and mitigate incidents all inside Slack. Service catalogs allow service owners to improve operational maturity and document all your deploys in your service catalog. Incident analytics light extract meaningful insights about your reliability over any facet of your incident or the people who respond to them. And at the heart of it all, incident run books, they let you create custom automation rules to convert manual tasks into automated, reliable, repeatable sequences that run when you want. Create Slack channels, Jira tickets, Zoom bridges instantly after declaring an incident. Now your processes can be consistent and automatic. Try Fire Hydrant free for 14 days. Get access to every feature, no credit card required. Get started at firehydrant.io. Again, firehydrant.io. So what does the infrastructure look like for Grafana on call today or Emixer? however way you want to go and the present or just before you were acquired i'm i'm wondering i'm trying to imagine your infrastructure setup and the operations and pushing coding to prod so if you can run us through that i would really enjoy learning about that yeldar sure i'd love to we had all our code in our own instance of gitlab and we used gitlab ci to push our code into the primary cluster Mm -hmm. in our primary kubernetes cluster Uh, it was gke and we had pretty interesting pipeline, which actually checked the databases. It makes all the clones, it run all the migrations, it tested them. And only after everything successfully passed, we were doing the actual release, actual migrations, everything. Mm. And another nice part of our infrastructure was that from the beginning, we used a mixer, which is Grafano on call now, for our own incident response management. When we mm-hmm. just started the company, Emixer, we both were working in startups. Uh, I was working in enterprise and uh, we both were trying to start using some IRM tools. And I found that something doesn't satisfy me with the existing mm-hmm. solutions. And when I met Matvey again, 
and started talking to him, I realized that we have some common opinion on, on the IRM tools. And uh, Matvey had so many ideas about that thing. And he was working for a startup for Constructor.io, I believe, uh, mm -hmm. the one from San Francisco. Matvey, you can tell us more about that experience of being on call more. Because uh, Matvey was that real on-call engineer and I was able to interview, probably he was the first person who was interviewed about on-call mm -hmm. by himself, by Matvey and by <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, we were thinking, why not? Why not to start something that is easy to start using, that market expects? Mm -hmm. Because uh, everything that we tried to use was built around 2010s when when the whole infrastructure was different, when there was no Docker was not popular, when there was no Kubernetes uh, mm -hmm. and so on, when there was no SaaS, PaaS, everything as a service. Yeah. And yeah, we were thinking why not to build something that lives in the same place where engineers live. Mm -hmm. And we had an idea that we need to build something, some tool that helps uh, engineers to be on call. Mm -hmm. And that's how idea started. Uh, we've built a Slack application because we were using Slack for our communications and we just added a third tool, a third person in our team mm -hmm. that managed uh, schedules for us, that managed on call for us. And that's how it started. And the funny thing is that our first tool that we used in our infrastructure was a mixer. And all the time, all that one half or two years, we were using Mixer as our primary mm. incident response management system. And I already mentioned that we had this backup system that lived in a cluster that was really stable and that expected to receive all that production load if something goes down. That was mm -hmm. our replica of uh, a Mixer. Interesting. So how was this beginning for you, Matvey, with a Constructor? How did you see this period of just, you know, becoming a mixer more and more? How did that grow for you? So as Lidar mentioned, I used to be on call uh, in this awesome startup called Constructor.io. Thanks, them. They're cool. And one thing, you have incidents all the day, all the night. I was in charge of infrastructure. So that's when I yeah, started thinking about maybe building some tooling here because uh, the tooling which existed, it didn't fit me for some reason. It was hard for me to formulate why exactly. Mm -hmm. So I started this as a mostly research project, like I will build something in this field. And if I spend a lot of efforts, I will build something awesome, <laughs> like, but I don't know what yet. Okay. The fun thing which uh, Ildar almost touched is that when we were building our own instant management process, we just really wanted to use other tools, but we went so much in different directions with uh, a mixer. So we just so much didn't like them. So we just spinned another one cluster and <laughs> use our own tool. And uh, there's one other other story how this cluster, why did we have uh, at the, from the very beginning two fully functional clusters? That's because when we started our production, when we signed up first customers, few days later, the whole digital ocean went down. <laughs> so we have wow. everything in digital ocean. Like a whole region? A whole region or like the whole the platform, whole Kubernetes, the whole... the whole Kubernetes offering they had. And uh, wow. Eldar said like, yeah, that's like Kubernetes time. That's why I spent so much time on <laughs> spinning up everything in Kubernetes. <laughs> right. 
and just launched everything in GKE in, I don't know, a few minutes. And uh, at this moment, we had two full clusters in two different cloud providers. Crazy. So hang on, hang on. Let me understand this correctly. You ended up with two Kubernetes clusters as a result of an incident, which involved yes. DigitalOcean Kubernetes going down. And Ildar said, what the hell? Let me just like spin another one up. And he did. And a few minutes later, or like, you know, I know, 30 minutes, whatever later, the whole setup was 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 back on GKE. Yes, yes. And it was a, it, it was a moment, moment of celebrating uh, Kubernetes, actually. <laughs> so that's the... Imagine the situation why everybody is using Kubernetes exactly for this. When was this? <laughs> I'm really curious. When was this? I guess the DigitalOcean, they just, I don't even know if the Kubernetes was in GA at that moment. Mm. I think it was beta, something like this. Beta, okay. To be fair. Okay. And yeah. you're running production in beta. Wow, that's very brave. I bet you've learned some lessons in that beta we did. period. Okay, okay, that's interesting. It was not beta. And uh, <laughs> I guess uh, that was very beginning. So our first customer, we, we had some agreement with them. So they were not paying, I believe, at, at that moment. It was in very, very, very beginning of, of right. our life. So it was maybe first or second month uh, we, we had mm -hmm. we started the company. Interesting. So do you still run on DigitalOcean today? No? <laughs> no. Okay. We have it as a backup. Right. We, we didn't tell Grafana about this, I think. <laughs> or, or, maybe, <laughs> or maybe we did. Nobody from Grafana listened to this. Right. <laughs> okay. We told Grafana we, we have some this one cluster there. So there will be a period until be, be, so between us recording this and it's going live. So you have maybe a few weeks <laughs> to do that. <laughs> so no, no one will hear this. <laughs> so make sure you do that. Yeah, that's, that's just a backup empty cluster just in case something will go down. Mm. We'll be able to jump there. That's only one purpose. Yeah, I mean, this is something which I'm thinking myself. We have a couple of episodes of uh, Ship It, the Kaizen ones where we talk about like the multi-cloud. And we're trying to diversify, so not just have Kubernetes, try a few platforms out and see what it would take to run our application on those platforms. It's the automation that gets us. What that means is that there should be no scripts, nothing like that. There should be something that reconciles everything continuously, something like Crossplane, where, you know, why not use uh, Linode and use Fly and use Render and use maybe something else as well, so that it's both Kubernetes and something else, and it's distributed. It's just fun, right? I mean, things like this, I mean, I know that not to everyone, but to me, it's fun, right, to, to think like that. So would you be considering at any point a platform instead of Kubernetes? Can you imagine that ever happening? Or do you just like Kubernetes too much? Because I love it. <laughs> yeah, we really enjoy using it. It just works. So what do you use in Kubernetes? I'm very curious. Like, What are like your baseline components, like Ingress Nginx or maybe something else for Ingress, Cert Manager, External DNS? What are like the must-haves in your Kubernetes? As we told before, from the very beginning, there was kind of agreement between us not to use any fancy technologies that innovative and nobody uses mm. except us. So we were trying to to do only like best practice things. Yeah. And even Kubernetes back in that time was like, hmm, should we do it or should we not? Mm -hmm. But we were seeing the growth of managed solutions and we were clearly seeing that all the major providers were, were doing their own mm -hmm. Kubernetes. So we decided to use it, but we decided to use like the most basic components over there. So we, we just had our payloads or our deployments and yes. uh, some load balancers that even we had uh, Nginx controllers, but then we decided to use more managed solutions as, as possible. Interesting. 
because we run Ingress Nginx and I'm thinking of, you know, replacing with something else. Traffic uh, was very interesting for a while, but it's interesting that you don't even use that. So you just go for load balancers and then that's it. Interesting. Okay. Do you use external, external DNS at all? Like what manages DNS? I'm wondering. Same managed DNS from Google. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, one one thing which we didn't... Uh, mm. The main component of our system is RabbitMQ. Because, of course, like writing... <laughs> so from the very beginning, a mixer is very critical to deliver incidents for it. So we cannot mm. lose incidents. We cannot lose data. So our software is a pipeline. So at the very beginning, we receive the HTTP request. We put it as fast as possible to RabbitMQ, even if database will go down. Even if half the right. system wouldn't work, we will publish it to RabbitMQ. And okay, whatever happens later. So we have multiple workers which consume mm-hmm. from this RabbitMQ. And uh, for example, Slack, we have a lot of third parties. Like we have Twilio, right. which is making a phone call. We have uh, other dependencies and they sometimes go down. And that's why we have this retry-based system. So. Our workers, they will try, try, try again and again, a lot of fullbacks, mm-hmm. a lot of ifs and else's. But that's why we didn't use managed RabbitMQ, because we spent a lot of time trying to understand how exactly does it work, how does exactly does it recover, and we wanted full control under RabbitMQ. Right. So load balancer, it's not very so critical for us to understand how it works. Mm-hmm. Of course, it's important, but uh, not a lot of dark magic happens there. But RabbitMQ, what if it will lose connections, like all three nodes will lose connections to each other? How mm. will they reunite? So we made those trainings, we checked how it all works, how much memory does it need before freezing and all, all of that. Uh, so that's the only one component which we're, we're very crazy about having under our control. <laughs> okay. I think this is going to be the best part of the podcast. And I wasn't expecting this, and neither were you. So here it comes. Do you know that I have been a core RabbitMQ engineer for the past six years? <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> no. <laughs> Good. <laughs> I, wish, I wish people could see your faces now. <laughs> so that means that the RabbitMQ team did something right in the past six years, if you could depend on it to not go down. Okay. First thing I want to say, great job. Thank okay. you for this piece of software. It works great. <laughs> so I will pass it on to the team. Yeah, we were able to build uh, the whole uh, a mixer and Grafana call on top of it, and uh, it works Amazing. great, especially with Celery. So Celery has some weird things <laughs> you should be aware of, but the connection between Celery and RabbitMQ is something which we like and enjoy working with. That's really cool. Which version of RabbitMQ? How many nodes? Which queue types? I have so many questions. <laughs> <laughs> Should we go that deep? <laughs> maybe, just, maybe just like in one sentence. Which RabbitMQ version? Three six, three seven, three eight, three nine. What are you running? How many nodes? One, three, five, whatever. How many clusters? And which queue type? Classic queue, classic mirrored, quorum queue. Have you heard of streams? I believe we use the latest version, three point nine. We have uh, a cluster of three nodes as for now. Mm-hmm. And uh, I believe we use the classic re- resilient. Classic use, okay. Mirrored, use mirroring? Uh, no, we don't. No, okay, okay. That's great to know. Thank you for that, I enjoy that.
This episode is brought to you by our friends at Datadog. You know Datadog. Datadog is a SaaS monitoring and security platform enabling full stack observability for developers, IT operations, security, and business teams in the cloud age. The unified platform, along with 500 plus vendor-backed integrations, allows you to correlate metrics, traces, logs, and security signals across your applications, your infrastructure, and your third-party services in a single pane of glass. They have an upcoming webinar to check out covering real-time threat detection and configuration audits. Join this webinar to learn how to investigate the root cause of an attack Understand how Datadog's platform provides full stack security for your production environment and a holistic view of your cloud environment. Detect misconfigurations in your environment that could leave you susceptible to attacks. Visit datadoghq.com changelog. Register for the webinar in a time zone that's most convenient for you. And attendees will also get a chance to win a Datadog t-shirt. Again, datadoghq.com. And by our friends at GitLab, the DevOps platform that empowers organizations to maximize the overall return on software development by delivering software faster, more efficiently, while strengthening security and compliance. GitLab helps teams to identify and address blockers immediately in a single tool. They focus on delivering value, not maintaining integrations, and they automate security and compliance without compromising speed or spend. Get started with their free tier, no credit card required to prove yourself, and the rest of your team at the platform has everything you need to make awesome software. Head to about.gitlab.com solutions slash DevOps dash platform or check the show notes for a link to get started. Again, links are in the show notes. So if we were to start using on-call for changelog.com, where do you think that we should start? So the starting point for Grafana on-call is Grafana Cloud. We revealed a month ago the public beta preview, not ready yet, please uh, use with uh, caution version. Like the DigitalOcean Kubernetes cluster, right? It can go down at any time. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, I get you, I get you. Actually, yeah, we treat it like real production, and of course it's real production, and it will go to GA soon. So mm-hmm. we're getting more and more serious about it. But actually, it's there for you to try, play with, give us your feedback. And it's in Grafana Cloud. You just sign up. You will mm-hmm. look at average Grafana, but in the left, you will have a, a round plugin icon uh, called yeah. Grafana on call. And that's it. So that's your starting point. So if we already emit logs to Grafana Cloud and we emit metrics to Grafana Cloud, how do we make use of those with Grafana on call? So Grafana on call is a, it's very important to understand what is this product about. It's not about issuing alerts. Mm-hmm. Grafana itself is for like generating alerts. It's not for managing large incidents when you have like 17 hours long incident and you need help and communication. It's not about that. Mm-hmm. It's focused on notification for right people, right time according to on-call schedules and different channels. Right. So you need to go to Grafana and set up your alerts. Mm-hmm. Feel free to play with unified alerting, which was revealed recently also. And after you configure your alerts, rules and thresholds, you could open the Grafana on-call. You'll see the small onboarding instruction there, like do A, B, C, D. 
So you click add integration there, and uh, it's a quick integration with current Grafana. Okay. So it will automatically create a contact point for you in Unified Alerting mm-hmm. and start consuming alerts from the rest of Grafana. Okay. And your next steps are configure on-call rotation. Mm-hmm. For on-call rotation, we have pretty interesting concept, which is a lot different from on-call schedulers our competitors have. Initially, we introduced these on-call rotation mechanics as a prototype, just something quick, hacky to give our clients to test. And it ended up to be so cool that we just stayed with it. (laughs) So actually, we don't have on-call rotation editor in our product at all. So you'll not find something like in PageDuty. But we allow consumption of on-call shifts from Google Calendar, Outlook, any calendar system you use. So you just go to Google Calendar, create a new calendar, share it with your colleagues, create time slots, and uh, connect it with Grafana on call. So Mm. it works well because you already have your calendar app in your mobile Mm. phone. And the main thing which on-call editor should allow you to do is a quick changes. So like, for example, I need to, I don't know, I have some family business, I need to leave my laptop, I'm on-call now, I need override. So I need to exchange on-call shift with Ildar. How do I do it? Do I go to some large UI, uh, login, go deep and make this change? Or I just open my calendar, create a time slot and just create over right there. So we stayed with these mechanics and it worked well so far. Mm -hmm. Any feedback we really appreciate if you will have one. The next thing you could do is to connect your mobile phone, verify your mobile phone, SMS, set up escalation policies. So Mm -hmm. if incident occurred, what Grafana on-call will do, who to notify, somebody based on on on-call schedule, what if this person would not respond? Mm -hmm. Five minutes later, notify, for example, Tom, (laughs) because Matvey Mm -hmm. skipped on-call shift. And yeah, that's all. That's all about Grafana on-call. So it will notify you uh, in comfortable time. So alerting, I know that when you configure alerts, you can also set up notifications. So Mm -hmm. what system to use to notify and then it fires off those notifications. I don't fully understand how Grafana on call fits into that chain in that notifications won't be fired straight away. They need to basically adhere to some rules, which I imagine is this Grafana on call, which knows maybe who to notify. Mm -hmm. Is that the right? But I'm I'm not quite clear. There's a lot of confusion about this connection because we actively work on this piece. And uh, as you mentioned, you open Grafana alert and you see you could send uh, alerts to Slack, you can send alerts to Telegram, to Twilio and other uh, destinations. So Grafana on call is like evolved notification part. So it's a whole new product about this notification piece. So if you want just basic notifications, just to send alerts to Slack channel, you could send them straight away without Grafana on call. But if you want some magic around this, if you want a backup using escalations to achieve SLA. Right, that makes sense. You could go there. What we really enjoyed about Grafana when we joined is that Big Tent philosophy. So we designed Grafana on call so it will be helpful for you even if you don't use other parts of Grafana. Mm-hmm. And other parts of Grafana, they don't need Grafana on call. You you could use Grafana on call if you find it comfortable. 
If you don't, okay. just use competitor tool. For example, you could use Grafana call with Zabbix, with Datadog, with any other system which could issue signals, alerts, whatever. You could write a cron job, which will fire alerts there. And that's okay. And uh, no need to use Loki, Tempo, and other parts. Of course, we want to build like cool experience if you and uh, mm-hmm. make you laugh all tools together, but we don't force you. So that's a very cool idea we enjoyed when, when we joined. That really resonates with me. I like that idea very much. Like not forcing people, like you don't have to use all of this stuff together, just pick and choose whatever makes sense to you. And uh, you can change your mind. That's okay too. It's not like once you go down this path, that's it. It's really hard mm-hmm. to go to go back. I'm wondering how do SLOs fit with Grafana on call? Like let's imagine that my uptime, let's just go with uptime, is um, three nights, 99.9%. Mm-hmm. How does this concept, if at all, maybe doesn't fit anywhere within Grafana on call? So I'm wondering if there is a connection there with SLOs. So we don't dictate any specific approach to this. So mm-hmm. SLOs could be different. So how Grafana on call could help here is that Grafana on call is a instrument of making sure that in some time frame somebody will pick up incident. Right. So if you have situations where incident occurred and somebody received an alert and nobody reacted in three hours, this is where Grafana on call will help. So it wouldn't help you to mitigate uh, spikes when your SLO like breached for four seconds and came back again. So it doesn't help with it. It helps a little bit. It helps because we have grouping mechanics on our side also. So Mm -hmm. if you have a lot of spikes, it could group them all to one incident and help you to avoid alert storm and uh, avoid alert fatigue. So we're addressing this problem as well. Mm -hmm. But uh, it's a different point of view. Yeah, understand. Okay. Do you have any questions for me? Yeah, I'm curious. So incidents is a situation where your infrastructure actually breaks into your personal life. So whenever you are, you should be like connected, right? So you are sleeping or you're having dinner with your family and your work is like interrupting you. Right. So that's why we're addressing this problem because we want to make it more comfortable for people. It's impossible to avoid. So the question for you, how far do you think instruments will should go so what's the good balance between using instruments to help you to mitigate incidents and alerts mm-hmm. and doing some manual work like opening grafana looking at graphs with serious face and making a decision about yeah. incident yeah. mitigation or not right so the way i would answer this is by describing the ideal incident scenario so the ideal incident scenario for me would be I get a notification when something needs my attention. I would hate to be notified when something can fix itself or when something is um, partially degraded, but it doesn't affect the majority of the users. Let me give you an example. Currently, and I think this is us using, when I say this is us, let me be more specific. This is me configuring alerts wrong in Grafana in that if one probe we're using synthetic monitoring. If one probe doesn't get a 200 response, I get a notification. Now, 
the first thing which I do, I look like, is this one probe or is this like across multiple probes? If it's just one probe, I know that most likely there's an issue with that probe, which is running in Grafana Cloud. Our service is okay. Our service is fronted by a CDN. So the CDN would need to have a pretty bad day, which did happen, by the way, or first time in maybe five years when Fastly went down and affected everyone. I was sunbathing. It was a very, very important moment. <laughs> and I got like all those incidents. It was like my day off. And uh, like... I get I got so many alerts that day because all the pros were failing. So when I get alert notified, I know that I need to investigate. So nothing automatically couldn't resolve itself. Like it wasn't meant of restarting it. Um, there was no disk which was getting full, nothing like that. So what that usually means is networking. In almost all cases for us, it just meant networking. So I would love to know which part of the network stack is the problem. Is it between a portion of users and the CDN is like a specific pop, which maybe didn't fail over. Is it some data which was cached incorrectly in the CDN and then that is being served, but everything is fine between the CDN and like network is fine. So going with the, with the networking approach, which part of the network is the problem? And I would like love basically to know where to pinpoint, like where to start digging. It does happen that, for example, our uh, Kubernetes, there's some issues with the networking and the CDN cannot forward requests correctly. When that happens, we just serve stale content, except the, the dynamic requests. We still have a fair bit of those, and I wish we had fewer requests which were dynamic, which wouldn't depend on the origin being up. So well, that's okay. Again, for the majority of the users, the content can be served, the MP3 files, the, you know, the static assets, all that stuff. The website is up. It's not fully down. And that helps me figure out, okay, so this is like a problem with the origin. We have only one, so things are simple. But I would expect us to have multiple origins so that when one origin is down, it's okay. You know, the traffic gets rerouted and, you know, we just keep the healthy origin in the CDN. So... When I know which origin is down is something that I can fix. I would like would like to know straight away if the provider has an incident, right? Because we depend increasingly on other providers. So it would help to know, is it me or is it a bigger issue? In all incidents, which we had previously, it took me to investigate to realize, you know what? It's actually the provider. There's nothing I can do other than fail over. I know I don't have more than one origin, so there's not much I can do other than wait. The CDN will serve the cache, so it's okay. Did that answer your question, Matvey? What I figured out from this answer is that you really want to have a lot of context during the incident provided straight away with the incident. Yes. And that's a great answer. And actually, you don't want to be paged based on some rules which could be automated. Yes. So that's a great feedback. I think we should check our backlog. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's a great feedback feedback and I'm really happy about our decision to join Grafana because Grafana is the best place to be as an IRM tool because you already have all that information mm. right in, in the in the database and for sure. Now I can give you some feedback from our last incident when Fastly went down when parts of Grafana were affected as well. That is bad, right? When your incident tool is is affected by well uh, as well by the incident. And that, again, happens very rarely, once every you know five years. I know that Amazon was down. It didn't affect us, but apparently it affected a lot of companies. I don't know to what extent Grafana was affected, but from our perspective, everything was okay. I don't like having a single instance of anything. So I don't like depending on a single incident tool. 
I don't like depending on a single monitoring system or metric system or a telemetry system. I don't like using a single Kubernetes cluster. Now, for, you know, like it's the real world and we have to, you know, allocate our time accordingly and there's just not enough hours in the day, so you have to prioritize. We are not there yet. But I'm moving to a world or I'm moving changelog to a world from an operational perspective where we have multiples of everything. One origin goes down, that's okay. One continent goes down, that's okay. I know people say multi-cloud is very difficult to do right. I get it. I understand the challenge. And I'm going to slowly chip away at that. There's some simple solutions, I think, rather than like the big problem. We're not that big, right? We can use, for example, Fly.io to host an instance of Changelog. We need to migrate all our assets to S3. And then when we do that, you know, our app and our stateful data is less. And we don't have to have an instance of all our media in multiple regions or multiple, and that will solve a lot of the problems. The database, if we go to host it, host it PostgreSQL, because that's what we use, maybe like, like CockroachDB, I'm really interested in that, what that would look like. We don't have to move the data. It's already distributed. It's all handled for us. So then all we have to do is like worry about our code. And then we can, how do we distribute the code effectively across multiple providers? Now that's a very interesting challenge, isn't it? But all the state, all the, like the, the hard problem, that's already in S3. And if S3 is down, well, should we have a single S3? No, we should have multiple. What does that look like? I'm really passionate about solving that problem. And then you have multiples of everything. If one goes down, that's okay. My system is not down, but it's degraded. And sure, I want to be notified like this part is down, but it's like, you know, I know, new news item. Oh, this is interesting. It's an interesting tweet. <laughs> what else happens in the life of changelog infrastructure? That's that's the way I think about this. So incidents, and that's why I asked my question about being on call. Maybe if you approach things wrong, nobody needs to be on call. Maybe. You know, black swans, they always come from the side you don't expect. <laughs> so <laughs> That's exactly right. Black Swan is a very, very good book. I wish you could see it's right there. I'm going to read it again. It's amazing. Have you read the Black Swan, the book? Yeah, of course. Okay. That's exactly what I'm thinking. <laughs> That's the like uh, tabletop book for those who build incident <laughs> management software. <laughs> amazing. So yeah, I mean, that is a great, yeah. Definitely, I recommend everybody reads read that book to understand, properly understand where I'm going with this. So that's great. Did you read it from cover to cover? Yeah. But I want to read it again, for sure. I have like a whole stack of books, which I'm going to read this uh, this this holiday season. That's what I'm looking forward to most. Uh, so by the time listeners are listening to this, you can you can ask me uh, in the comments uh, and you can ask us what books have we read uh, between recording this and this going live. So as we are preparing to wrap this up, I'm wondering what is the most important takeaway that you want our listeners to have from this conversation? Eldar, would you like to go first? That's really cool that... Uh we as engineers can build tools for engineers that are easily accessible, that are easy to use, and that can make our lives much more easier. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's really cool that uh, we are already in this industry and we, nobody except us can understand the problem better than us. Mm-hmm. And that gives us a unique opportunity to build the product that can change uh, our lives as on-call engineers. Mm-hmm. That's what I really love about uh, building that product, About that gives me inspiration to wake up and uh, make some new features, create these multiples. I really like the idea about multiples, and that's, that's what we were doing all, all the time. We were figuring out new ways to deliver 
the incident, we were figuring out new ways to kind of duplicate our infrastructure. And that's really inspiring. Matvey, what about you? When I started this project, it was like, I need a simple tool which will just consume incidents in that one side and output them in the other side. Eh, I know everything about this. Let's build it. Three years later, I have conversation with you and I still figure out more and more about how do people work with incidents. Mm. Because this is the space where technology meets your real life. How do you like feel about it? What do you expect? What is comfortable for you? What's not? And my main takeaway and uh, the takeaway for like, <laughs> everyone <laughs> I want to be is that incident management process is a unique thing. It should suit you. And that's the main criteria of qualification criteria for anything, for tools, for how should incidents look, how your on-call schedule should be organized. And uh, that's it. Well, that sounds great to me. Those are two great takeaways. Thank you very much for today's conversation. I myself learned a lot and I'm really looking forward to what comes next for Grafana on-call. I really like the whole portfolio. I think it's going in a great direction. And I'm very excited to what next year we're recording this in 2021. You're listening to this in 2022. So what 2022 brings for the whole ecosystem. Thank you very much, Eldar. Thank you, Matveid. It's been a great pleasure talking to you. Thank you. Thank you, Gerhard. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Ship It. This is just one of our podcasts for developers. Go to changelog.com forward slash master for the rest. You can join us via changelog.com forward slash community for free. The only cost is happiness credits if you choose to not interact with us. There are no imposters in our Slack. Everyone is welcome. Huge thanks to our partners Fastly, LaunchDarkly and Mina. Thank you Breakmaster Cylinder for all our awesome beats. That's it for this week. See you next week. As for my last thing, I'm currently reading Dave Farley's Modern Software Engineering and I want to share something that resonated with me. One of the defining characteristics of high-performing teams in software development is their ability to make progress and to change their minds without asking for permission from any person or group outside their small team.